Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, regular listeners, you may have spotted that we've changed our name. It's now Honey & Co. The Food Sessions. So if you hear this sound, it's just us making dinner. Well, that and the fact that we're not allowed to use our old title anymore. It's just been a bit of a thing, but don't worry about it. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, thank you so much for downloading our podcast, The Honey and Coffee. My name is Ita Marsulovich. Me and my wife have some restaurants in Fitzrovia and a couple of cookbooks. Ever since we opened our restaurant, we've been meeting so many incredible people who are cooking, who are making food, who are writing about food. And we just want to have a little bit more time with them. We invite our favorite people once a month or twice a month to our deli, Honey and Spice. And we sit down and have a longer chat. We cook from their books or from their culture. And this is a recording of these talks. I hope you enjoy it. Tonight we're joined by Sabrina Gayor. Sabrina came to England from Iran when she was two years old and when she was 11 she took over the family kitchen. A few years down the line she became the huge success behind Persiana, behind Sirocco and now the book Feast which she came to talk to us about. Amongst many other things we talked about her £2.50 supper club, we talked about crisps in different countries. It was a terrific fun. Please listen. Very an extra special night tonight with lovely Sabrina Gayur, <laughs> who is uh, a bit of a hero of mine, and also someone that I was really hoping to get to know a little bit more in the hope of being invited to dinner. And <laughs> already were on, on already Persian were holidays. The first time we met, already. You, which were. is which is always, you know, this is the reason that we do these talks. Is we <laughs> we want to get the in. No, you guys are just props. <laughs> it's all about finding other people to cook for you. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we do the big push and then we reap the rewards later. <laughs> Sabrina sort of exploded into our lives around 2013 with uh, Persiana. Yeah, apologies. Apologies exploding. Yeah, and she, she's a little bit, her throat is a little bit uh, yeah, sore. Yeah, so we'll be extra it. quiet for it. That's okay. So she sort of suddenly happened, kind of yeah. out of nowhere. But obviously you had a, 
very full and interesting life before we all heard about I did. you. <laughs> I don't know how interesting it was, but yeah. yeah. Uh, you, you're from a Persian background, a Persian family. Yep, I was born in Iran, uh, left at the time of the revolution, and uh, um, family had sort of some, we have family here, so we were kind of back and forth. Um, and then, yeah. How, just, how old were you when you came? I was two. Ah, oh, tiny. Tiny. And uh, yeah, we just, we've lived here since 1979 and I'm essentially, you know, very British in, in many ways and uh, didn't really cook. Nobody was cooking Persian food really in my house. Really? Because my mother, who shall remain nameless and is present, um, <laughs> uh, don't think she'll disagree uh, that she not just cannot cook for toffee, but she just cannot cook. She does not cook. It's not an, it's not a... Um, an exaggeration and she was always cooked, kicked out of the kitchen when she was younger, that symptom of what we sometimes do because we're too busy or it's not a place for children so it's not really her fault but she loved food and I'm my love of food is totally because of her. But you ended up cooking as well. Yeah, I started... Uh, but I, how, how... So who cooked the Persian food? No one did. So no one cooked the Persian food. My grandmother was this insanely glamorous woman and when she came here in 79, was forced to cook because life was quite different here to, to Iran. In Iran, some people have cooks, like in India, Hong Kong, a lot of cultures. Some people have just a house cook if, like, you know, husband and wife are working, makes things a bit easier. So my grandmother had to learn, like, a few dishes here. But you know what? She, she hated cooking, hated cooking and I remember she would probably like once every month or once every couple of months just spend one day like making stew after stew after stew and freezing it and freezing rice which dispels that whole you'll die if you eat frozen rice thing I always say I grew up on frozen rice believe me I'm still alive to tell the tale hopefully defrosted defrosted yeah. I mean I don't know no yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah she she really didn't like it and when I started cooking it was because I was watching Ken Hom and Madda Jeffrey here to you know Chinese and a uh, Indian cook I absolutely was totally enamored by everything I had seen and I was like wow um, and we had a very bizarrely had a Chinese supermarket near our house which is quite unheard of in the early 80s so I used to just pass it every day on the way to school and back and buy like dim sum wrappers like wonton wrappers and make I started just making Cantonese food and like wonton soups and stuff and I think the family were just like oh that's so cute <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, when I was 11 I took over and just did all the cooking really yep uh, it started at Christmas because grandma's Christmas offerings were appalling um, my aunt Mary used to buy. She used to bring the turkey, which was a godsend because she could actually cook. My grandmother's generation, so my great aunt Mary, and so she'd bring the turkey. And my grandmother uh, would nip into the newly opened Sainsbury's on Cromwell Road, which was near near our house, it was about thirty two years ago or something. And she would go to the counter, and I remember <laughs> she'd buy sliced roast beef at the counter, which is not. It's not like a proper whole roast rib of beef. It's nothing like that. And then she would make bisto gravy and then soak those slices of roast beef in them and serve them. Look what I made. Look what I made. <laughs> and you wouldn't, you wouldn't mess with my grandmother. And, and then one, 
fateful Christmas, she decided to go to the Persian butcher in High Street, Kensington. And I'm still to this day, we talk about this. None of us understood why she decided to buy loads of lamb tongues. <laughs> and then, and then even worse, make a, a, a sort of sefid, white sauce. <laughs> my mother's like, oh my God. <laughs> and then, of course, nobody with any sense ate it. So this bowl was refrigerated, and we had two fridges in a house where nobody cooks, two fridges in a tiny flat, and for the next five days after Christmas, every time you'd open the fridge, there'd be this bowl, and it'd be like... <laughs> with all these tongues, gelatinous layer, I just was horrified. I can't eat tongue to this day for that exact reason, but... So I took over. Is this I mean, the, the, after this, you said, all right, yeah. something needs to be done. It was either that or therapy or, yeah. you know. Um, but I loved it. And she always used to say, but darling, why don't you just, we'll just get it in. We'll just buy it. Like, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go to M&S and we'll just buy it. And I'm like, no, I like cooking. And she was just baffled. She didn't get it. So she didn't understand a love because for for a certain generation it was not it was just a horrible chore like another house chore yeah especially if you've got kids and a family you know it, it doesn't even if you love cooking you don't love cooking under duress every single day you know sure enough you do anything long enough under duress and eventually your love of it will sort of slightly deplete yeah you know I don't I didn't I used to cater seven days a week I didn't love doing that I loved doing it came from a love of doing it but I still prefer cooking when there are not people going, oh, what time's dinner? I'm hungry. What's going on? You know, when I'm just milling around, doing my thing, pottering, relaxing, and probably that will actually result in a really great meal because I'm just doing a little of what I fancy and I've planned it well, but, you know, chuck me three kids and a hungry husband and, you know, maybe every day, day in, day out, I'd be like, I hate cooking. And then I just, I probably wouldn't do what I did for a living, so... So how old were you when you took the family kitchen, when you took over? I started cooking when I was about, I think, five or six, probably. And it started off doing really, like, minimal things. Like, we had um, sous vide was a big thing in the 80s, except we used to call it boil in the bag. Because <laughs> like, it's the same technique, um, it's a commercial technique that sous vide and uh, so my mum would put a stool up in the kitchen and even though she didn't cook we'd kind of stir the boil in the bag or we'd make you know Betty Crocker brownies or whatever so I have memories with my mum which is that's really the most important thing um, and then around the time I was six or seven Uncle Ben's became a thing here because we didn't have stir fries everybody bought a wok Everybody started owning a wok. It was like the hottest property, kitchen equipment. Yeah. And it was really kind of like, I'd have to say, it's a, it's a bit of a middle class. Oh, darling, I've got a wok. We're going to make a stir fry. Um, this is the Ken Home Revolution. It was the Ken Home Revolution. And also it was the beginning of new flavors, sauces that maybe some people had experienced in a Chinese restaurant because it wasn't quite as popular as it is now. So neon orange sauce, still love it. Um, but sweet and sour sauce, you know, fry a bit of chicken, a bit of pork, and actually it would come together. And I remember my grandmother would invite her incredibly glamorous. Like, I've never been glamorous. These women... You're quite glamorous. Well, that's because I had to trowel it on before I came here to hide what's (laughs) underneath it. But these women are like, you know, not hair out of place, perfect long red nails, immaculate, smell amazing. And I'd make them stir fries, like... 
I don't know, beef and courgettes, mushrooms, you know, pint of gloopy sauce from a jar over it, and we'd boil egg noodles. And they were just like, this is terribly good. God, you're very clever, aren't you? All that kind of encouragement, because nobody in my household really gave too much of a rat's that I was doing that. <laughs> so, well, Sabrina, Sabrina's in the kitchen again. Don't disturb Oh, again, here we go. So that's kind of where it came from. Um, and then probably became a nasty teenager for a while. Um, was cooking, but wasn't cooking in the same way. I was working at McDonald's. Were you? Yeah, worked at McDonald's. I worked at Pret-a-Manger. So technically I was in food prep, but I couldn't wait to get out of there at the end of every shift. You, you learn, you learn yeah. a lot in fast food. You learn so much. Like People discredit it. And now, obviously, it's a very different thing now. Now it's... I go into McDonald's, the same ones, and it's just people clearly that need, you know, people that are families and have people to support. You can tell. We were just like a bunch of teenagers. Everybody was from, like, the local college. We had the time of our lives. But you learned about discipline, cleaning, management. I didn't quite nail not answering back um, for a good two decades after that. Um, But you did learn a lot, and you learned a lot about crazy things like, um, you know how many millimetres the clam grill, you know, like excess calibration of a soda machine, like really <laughs> intense. Intricate thing. Yeah, for a 17-year-old, I was like quite into it. But um, And then in my 20s, or I just started wanting, craving Persian food and not getting it as much as I wanted, waiting for some like nice auntie to drop something off. And they wouldn't deliver as often as I liked. Or they go, oh, I must make you that. I'm thinking, yes, you really must. You've said it three times, you know. So I started to learn, but the books were like 60, 70 quid because they were self-published and I'd have to get them from the States and and there weren't really that many recipe books. So I had to teach, I taught myself, I taught myself. I didn't have anyone telling me, no, you don't do that, we do it like this. I didn't learn that way, so. So did you start with the like super traditional, all the pilavs and the horst and all these? So I started with uh, the first two I made was because my mother, the last person who should make this statement, why don't you start with gamer? It's really easy. Like, this is a woman who's never cooked before. Um, so I started with that stew, and actually she was right, but it still takes time, even though the stew is like onions, meat, tomato paste... And then, you know, saffron, turmeric, and then water. There's really not, nothing complicated in it. But till you get the flavour right to what you know in your head is the correct flavour in your household for that, that's a little bit of a different story. Um, and also in my 20s, I was too busy being a 20-year-old to kind of be really diligent and be in the kitchen. I was out, you know. Um, so I'd probably say by the time I perfected everything, I was really in my 30s and not ever thinking that I was going to be cooking. I mean, I worked in restaurants for nearly 20 years, but I wasn't a chef. Not in, not in kitchen. And at every kitchen I ever worked in, they're like, you really need to be a chef. And I was like, no, no, too old. Can't take any of your crap. If you boss me around, I'll probably lamp you with a frying pan. Better off not having <laughs> me. Leave me in marketing and events, and I'll be much happier. Never thought it would happen. That's amazing. But was it... Did you feel, do you think that it was kind of freeing for you to learn the Persian food by yourself rather than having 
you know, a very strict auntie looking at you and saying, no, that's too much salt or no, that's too much? Um, I actually think that that's the reason people don't cook. If they have somebody, it's a cultural thing. I don't think it's a very European thing unless you sort of venture more into Greece and Turkey. But it's a cultural thing to have your hands slapped and told, no, that you don't do that. You can only do this. This is the way you've got to do it. And you either embrace it or, like most people, you think, oh, God, forget this. I'm going. And you don't listen. And that puts people off. So I'm not that kind of cook at all and have never been. And I don't write recipes that are, you must do this. Unless, genuinely, I've tested it and I realised you really can't do one particular thing where you can't miss out something then I'll write okay you really need to you know you have to do this you have to be diligent with it so I'll write it into the recipe otherwise I think every one of my books has the same intro um, and it's usually like if you're missing something don't worry if you don't like something use something else because you know life's too short because this is why this is you know for me one of the biggest charms of, of your books is that you know, a lot of these Middle Eastern cooking and Persian cooking, maybe more so, is so kind of shrouded in mystery and intricate. And you know, the rice you need to boil it, it really and is. rinse it, <laughs> and then and then go around the pan three times on a rainy day or seven hours. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's very, and you don't know what is really important and what really is. And then you know, I see your recipes, and it's like, oh. Huh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's easy. I, I remember one of the first talks I ever did um, was the week that Persiana came out. And you have to understand, I didn't think anyone was going to buy my books because nobody knew who I was. And then I found out they had a book coming out the same time. I was like, oh my God, nobody's going to buy my book. If I didn't go and put a book out, I'm screwed. And I remember at, at a talk, this woman sat in the front row and you say, I can spot Iranians a mile away. I can even spot you if you're half Iranian. Mm-hmm. So just because I just know. Most Iranians won't really know I'm Iranian. And this woman came and she went... All the way through the chat, she just locked eyes with me. And then after it, she came up to me and she said, You know, we don't cook rice like this. <laughs> you know that, right? Are you Iranian? What kind of a name is Sabrina? And I was like, oh, Jesus. So there was a, quite a few people that were really, uh, really hell-bent on pointing out that, you know, we don't do stuff like this. And I'm like, yeah. But in my head, not that I needed to point, prove a point to them, in my head I was like, yeah. And that's why nobody has any successful Persian books to date, because we keep telling people that this is how you do it and you can't do it any other way else. And it's just not true, a lot of it. Yes, it won't get the 10 out of 10 result, but so what? You you know, we've got what I always say, farangis. It's what we call people, foreigners, basically. We've got farangis cooking Persian food and, you know, Palestinian food and Israeli food and Syrian food. And that's amazing. So what if it's a little bit different? That makes, that floats my boat. And if you want authentic Persian recipes, you know what? There's a handful of books that have those recipes and they were out before mine and you're welcome to go that down that route but in my experience as the consummate cookbook nerd those beautiful books those ethereal books those authentic books are the ones I dust off once every few years and do that amazing dinner party with where you spent the whole weekend slaving away 
and you produce the most incredible food. Put the book back and swear for another five years, you'd never yeah, do it. See, see you Christmas 2025. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think it's very, very true. And this really, what you just said really echoes for me. Because really, when I opened this book, I said, it was just such a relief that you say, no, actually, I don't need to clear the afternoon and I don't need to have that special thing or that special... You know, I can do this and I can have results. Yeah. I mean, you can clear the afternoon. I get lots of messages from people going, oh, my God, I took the day off and it's like two o'clock and I'm done. <laughs> like, well, you know, take a load off and relax. It yeah. happens. What do you mean two o'clock? Well, people are like, I've done my prep for dinner. It's two o'clock and I'm finished. I thought it was going to take the whole day. And I was like, cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah go shopping. Do something <laughs> yeah, fun. Do something. Go yeah. have a nap. <laughs> <laughs> have a glass of wine. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. <laughs> um, but how did how did it come about? How did Prisiana came about? Um, I how did it came to happen? So I lost my job in 2011. I had moved out of restaurants and I was working in a firm in the city as global events manager. And sounds fancy. Uh, yeah, it was, but it wasn't for a bank, so don't hate me. Um, it was sorry. I know you're a banker. I can tell because <laughs> he was just like I was like oh shit, sorry. Um, it was, uh, but it was it was working for a company kind of like Bloomberg that provide trading platforms for banks. 
Fidessa, you probably know them. Back. Um, anyway, and I um, lost my job um, and I just joined Twitter and I was just like, crap, what am I going to do? All our clients, you know, all, everybody, nobody could spend money anymore. So we couldn't really be seen to entertain. And, you know, that was kind of my job was to organize entertainment for our clients. So I, I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. And I made a joke on Twitter about this um, Thomas Keller coming to London doing a pop-up for French Laundry, his restaurant, which yeah. I'm a huge fan of Thomas Keller. And I'd waited like half a year for them to announce the price and literally I lost my job and then they announced it and I was like, 250 quid? Oh, God. And I thought that, that my, was the one in Claridge's, wasn't it? It was a, no, it was a Harrods Okay, yeah, 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 right. And um, I really wanted to go and I thought to myself, you know, the stupid me would say go. The sensible me would be like, don't know what's happening to my money I don't have I mean, really I was in loads of debt and I didn't really have money for it so I put on Twitter and I said oh I'm so gutted French laundry 250 quid I should just do a dinner and call it French laundrette and charge £2.50 ha and it just went boom just went and did what Twitter does sometimes terribly spreading news like wildfire occasionally wonderfully I was definitely, um, uh, I experienced the wonderful side of it. And within about 10 minutes, I had hundreds of tweets saying, I want a place at that dinner. And I was like, oh my God, what have I done? You know, I thought it was going to be eight people around at my flat. (laughs) Like, you know, and I had never done a supper club before. I was just like, you know, for £2.50, I'll go to the butcher and I'll harass him and ask for bones. And I'll I'll just, I'll make it work. I'll do it to, to prove a point. And this is this is what the catalyst for this was. Somebody said to me, you'll never do it. And I went, no, no, I will. No, no, you'll never do it. And to tell a, specifically a Capricorn that you'll never do something or you can't <laughs> do something or you won't achieve something is like red rag to a bull. And I took 30 bookings, shut the lines down, and then the next day it was in the Independent. And it kind of blew up in the media. And then I, my marketing brain kicked in. I mirrored the exact same marketing plan that Harrods and French Laundry had to open their lines at 10 a.m. on the 1st of September. I advertised a phone line. I recorded a, a thank you for calling the French Laundrette. And like, you know, American, like just did everything. And for a month, I would plug my f- office line into the wall and it would ring day or night. I'd have Thomas Keller staff calling me. I'd have journalists from Australia calling me. People begging for places. My email blowing up. That's this is amazing. the kind of marketing power you couldn't plan this. You could never do this again. Okay, I've tried, you know, to, to 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 do things with that kind of thing. Yeah, it was very special, and I just thought I was I was in not a good place. I was in just chaos. But I thought this, this I've got to do something with this. So. We did it for charity. Loads of farmers gave hogget, you know, like proper cattle slaughtered for purposely for this. I know, sorry if you've got any vegans and vegetarians here, I apologise, but in our industry, that's a really respectful thing where you use an animal specifically and it's and it's well reared and whatnot. But people gave cheese and, you know, just everything and chefs and front of house staff gave their time and came and, you know, really knocked it out of the park. And, and then on Sunday times... Uh, did a comparison where the journalist had had lunch at the French Laundry. <laughs> Idiot 
me and he'd done a comparison with our like <laughs> pathetic little dinner and it was pretty favourable where we were not obviously trying to replicate Thomas Keller's food in any shape or form. So what food were you cooking? It, it wasn't Middle Eastern, I can tell you that. I remember um, I just wanted to pay homage to him because I was a fan. And so we did this... I remember this guy that was like, I had a like stack of volunteers. He was like, what do you want done? I said, I'm going to do one thing that I know we can do. One thing. He has these salmon tartar cornets. Like a cornetto, but with salmon tartar on it. But the cornetto is about this big. So in walk the cornets. It's about the size of a proper cornetto on the day. And I was like, Donald, what have you done? These are enormous. And he's like, oh, I've tried to get them smaller. And I was like, and you didn't tell me. So one, <laughs> one thing that we tried to get right was like 10 times as big. But then apart from that, I had like Adorno's ice cream, who were my friends. I tested a beetroot sorbet recipe and they very kindly made that for me. And I did it with a cured mackerel. And we did hog it with a potato galette, black garlic jus, cauliflower and truffle soup. And, and you did all this at home? No, we did it in a restaurant, um, the Chancery. They gave up their venue. Really? Yeah. And it was all done for charity because when things, in my culture, when things get too big, it's a blessing. So you don't, you know, you don't profit from that. So, and it was 80 people in the end, uh, charged them £2.50. And then being a proper Middle Eastern person, guilted and bullied them into donating about 40 quid a head. (laughs) So... (laughs) Um, Almost Jewish. Yeah, I like visitors. We're yeah. so similar. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't we just love each other? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I like kind of really hammered it. And I was like, okay, you didn't think you were going to get £2.50, like pull out your checks and wallets and like, you know, get stuck in. And um, and then after that, somebody said, um, you know, that was great. When are you going to put, put, when are you going to cook Persian food? I see that you do that on your uh, Twitter. And I was thinking, oh, God, Persian food. Hmm. Because I just genuinely thought, people are not going to like Persian food. Like, if they insult the food of my culture, I'm going to hit the roof. <laughs> like, you know, it's hard when you've grown up with something. If It's like, you know, in Big Fat Greek Wedding, there's yeah. the scene where she's at school with her, like, white blonde friends. And they're all biting on sandwiches. This is literally my childhood. And they're like, what is that? And she's like, it's moussaka. And they're like, moussaka? That's literally what I grew up with, taking like Olivier potato salad sandwiches. We were just like, ew. (laughs) So it was, I had that childlike fear about, oh no, what if they don't like it? But I did a pop-up and I was really wrong, really wrong. And it seemed that apart from sour, they hadn't got sour quite yet. Preserved lemons were not popular then. You know, they were, they they did like it quite a lot, actually. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, thank God. Um, and then by the next year, um, I finally caved and found an agent. And I remember she took one look at me and my website. She went, what's all this? Japanese chicken wings, French salad. Nobody's ever going to like you unless you just, do Middle Eastern or Persian food like otherwise you're just like everyone else and I was like huh it's actually why did I not think about that before because I was too busy trying to be everything to everyone to show people I can do Chinese and Cantonese and Spanish and Greek and Turkish and I was just trying to do everything so I had no niche and then as soon as I developed my niche scrapped all those recipes and 
really focused on delivering Middle Eastern-ish food, you know, it just blew up. It went nuts. And how, how did you go about working on Persiana? How did you go about trying the recipes and I, testing I your I totally recipes? just wasn't even thinking about that. All I could think about was paying bills. I had no interest in pitching books, um, no time to go to meetings, nothing. And my agent was always on my case. You should put a proposal together. I was like, yeah, 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 let me pay my bills and I'll then we'll talk. And to be honest, uh, a marketing lady... Um, Fiona Smith, I don't know if you know her. Fiona Smith came to my supper club and she was working at Octopus at the time. And I met her once before somewhere and she came to dinner. And then after dinner, she was like, oh my God, where were you hiding all of this? And I was like, uh, at my supper club here once or twice a week, every week. I uh, wasn't hiding it. She's like, I'm coming back with my editor. And she ca- and I always take things with a pinch of salt. I never think anything's happened until... It's sitting in front of you, the checks in the bank or whatever. And her, the editor came and she was like, oh, this is great. We've got, we should do a book. And I was thinking, okay, yeah, great. Thanks so much. Yeah. <laughs> okay, bye. Boom. Next day, email, list of recipes. And I was looking, I was thinking, oh my God, these are all my recipes. This is weird. Like stuff I've made up. They'd gone through my Instagram. They'd gone through my menus. They'd gone through everything that really? they could find and put a proposal together. And then they wrote at the bottom, Baba Ganoush. And I went, I'm not doing this book! Because I, I, I didn't make Baba Ganoush and I was so adamant that I didn't want to do the many books that had already been written that have those recipes. I thought, you know, you don't need one more person to do a Baba Ganoush recipe or one more person, sorry, anyone who writes a recipe book with Quiche Lorraine in it. You know what I mean? I, just, I didn't want to be the girl that was just repeating what other people had done beautifully before. And they were like, okay, fine, no Baba Ganoush. <laughs> you write whatever you want to write. And because I had tested in catering and cookery classes and um, supper clubs, and I was just constantly working, constantly cooking 17 hours a day, pretty much all the time, um, I had te- tested them very well, but just hadn't had time to write some of them down. Um, and they gave me about five, six weeks and I turned it around. And really? I, yeah, I wrote that book like... Whoosh, and I wrote most of it in an industrial estate outside the BBC Good Food Show. <laughs> now, have you ever, ever been to the BBC Good Food Show? They have a Ramada Inn, whilst all the, sh- all the top celebrity chefs that I was dying to hang out with, you didn't know, obviously I was nobody, they're all partying in the bar. I'm like speed writing recipes until like three in the morning in my room. So most of it was written in uh, Birmingham. Paid off. Yeah, it did. <laughs> it's not how I'd suggest you write a book, but yeah, it did. Well, you know, might as well do it quick and yeah. <laughs> get it <laughs> over it with. out. Yeah. Um, and then the, the book came out. It was very successful from the first minute. Was it? <laughs> was it? I don't know. I don't know. I was under my duvet for three yeah. months hiding. So, really? Uh, yeah, I was petrified. Was really? Yeah absolutely petrified and also when you don't really have a measure of what success is in especially like in a new project like a book or or a restaurant or whatever you you don't you don't know you're just like you're just horrified it was the most crippled I've ever been from nerves and that's not something that people ever see about me how much anxiety I have behind the scenes and how when I'm nervous I just look like I'm chilled it's a very good it is. It's so useful. It is useful, but it's also like 
<laughs> like, just looks like I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Inside is like, <laughs> so what do you mean hiding out? And were you literally? Oh, you can ask my mother. I literally didn't get out of bed for about three months because I, in, in between jobs, because I was just absolutely like really worried that, you know, it wasn't going to be successful, and I didn't even know what kind of success I was aiming for because how do you know? How do you gauge that? You know, I always thought books sold millions. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> um, and you realise that's not the case. And then you just you just don't know. And actually, it wasn't that it was a slow burner, but let's just say it came out in May 2014 and December was its biggest time. So it was almost like it had been around and the interest started going up and then people started cooking at dinner parties. And then somebody would go to that dinner party and go, oh, that aubergine dish was lovely. Where did you... Oh, it's this book, I imagine, because I keep getting told the stories. Oh, it's this book. You must get one. I'll get you one. And then by the time that kind of spreads, it takes a good few months to spread. So by Christmas, people were buying it for each other. And that's... I feel that's when it really sort of picked up and, and took off. And thank God... Well, you've, like, I, I'm so surprised because you know every time I see you, you seem so I mean so yeah. confident and chill. Now we know and, the truth. Yeah, <laughs> now we know the truth. And then say you know once it's been established and a little bit more kind of you got your confidence back. I don't think I got my confidence back until long after Sirocco was out. Um, I think it's something you just either have to learn to just deal with. And I have to say, um, probably Writing Feast was the most chaotic book of the lot. And I always joke to my publisher... More chaotic than turning a book in six weeks uh, yeah, in the car park of... Um, I was in my most stressed period of my entire life. Just through blessings, but just constantly working, not saying no to anything, just doing way more than I should have done, like in a really not healthy way. And uh, it's just a miracle. There was just so many things that I look back and I'm thinking you're really unprofessional you know you should have been more thorough with this and my publisher seems to be fine with it but I look back and I'm always like chastising myself going never again don't don't be that chaotic so that was probably the most stressful but I mean I wrote that like a probably not last summer the summer before yeah summer before and then pretty much all of last year I decided time to chill out so I've had a good year's worth of learning how to dial it down and actually really enjoyed. And that's what you should do because you put yeah, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This is the year that everyone was, would be like, I'm going to stop following this girl on Instagram because she's in a different country every week. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not fair. It's like, you know, look we at your phone. It's like, research. again? Seriously? <laughs> no. Oh, it's research. It's work. It yeah. wasn't work, yeah. This one, this one was a, this was a little bit of an extended trip, and we decided that it was a bit too long, quite frankly, because we just miss home so much. I mean, I love travelling, but when it becomes too much, you just miss my sofa so much and just miss chilling in the flat. Yeah, we're homebodies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so th- this is a book of feasts. Yeah. Actually, and you can see. I mean, what a feast. How much better they've li- made my food look. <laughs> well, you know, this is the nice... It's so, I was saying to Sabrina earlier that it's so stressful for us 
to have people, you know, that we cook their food and taste them. This is why we're so happy that she has a cold. And she, can't <laughs> <laughs> she can't try everything today. So we're like, yeah, yeah, it tastes good. The live, yeah, yeah, it's good. It's I think right. if my food is safe in anyone's hands in the whole country, it would probably be these two hands. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't particularly worried. And I, um, in the cab over, I was like, I don't even know what they're cooking from the book. Because if it was anyone, anyone else's restaurants, when they say, I usually get 100 emails, asking questions, phone calls, our chef wants to speak to you, how would you do this? And they Isn't it much nicer even, like this? Yeah, but that's because you guys are familiar with these kind of ingredients and flavors well so we do it with everyone well we're just like, <laughs> with everyone, yeah it's just like but you know what if you're if you're a chef from a different culture with a different discipline like specifically french discipline background i mean some of the most simple recipes might totally freak you out and i've seen incredibly you know accomplished amazing chefs go you know but what should i do and i'm like it's it's a pie like relax it's a pie oh is it oh okay but should I do this and I'm like I mean would you do that normally then yeah that's fine and you see people really get stressed out and it just makes me giggle because I'm such a nerd and it's I'm not that kind of chef at all so this book of feast what how how did it come about um so I don't know if you guys have this but like publishers love to tell you that every book has to be different they love to just make every book feel different so you're not just putting out Persiana 1, Persiana 2, Persiana 3, that kind of thing. So I'm trying to think about different ideas of how to separate the book and it just kind of hit me that when I was a kid I was party to and present at kind of entertaining that none of us do anymore, you know, like loads of kids running around incredibly glamorous people times 80 like ridiculous numbers in not massive houses sometimes and just like whole table full of food like that seemed to just not stop endlessly be topped up you never see in any of our cultures i would safely say an empty platter or even a half empty platter because it is the most phenomenal disrespect to or, or actually probably a slight on the host more importantly to be yeah. seen with a half empty platter of anything and we're not wasteful because it either gets given away to everyone there or you're stuck eating it at home for the next week um if, if you're if Unless you're it's tongue and white sauce yeah oh god never <laughs> um so it kind of triggered these memories and i refer to it in the book as like like it was my golden era and i didn't appreciate it at the time and, you know, it's the, I can sort of say it's akin to, like, maybe, like, when you miss your grandma and you're like, we oh, used to make those cakes and they were bloody awful, but I used to love spending that time with her. Or, oh, I remember our dad, you once in a blue moon he would cook and it was great, you know? Those things that you took for granted when you were younger and then you look back and think, oh, that was actually pretty special. So Feasts is just another way of kind of dividing into different chapters, but just because I eat, I'm a mood eater. Like people say, what's your favorite dish? And I'm like, oh, like how what could I choose? What mood am I in? Yeah. Am I, you know, poorly? Am I happy? Am I sad? Am I stressed? Am I, you know, I eat weird stuff. So I have to put different things in different cravings. And do I have time on the weekend? Or am I, you know, kind of coming home from work and knackered? So I kind of wrote things that could be done really quickly or when you have more time or a bit more special or a bit lighter with no emphasis on dieting mm. um that kind of thing 
and then it just comes together in some massive notepad like this. That's my really crazy process. And did, did it come? Did it come useful now? Because it was Persian New Year's, and I know that you have. Yeah. So um, now you'll be like, I can do this. I do. You know, I wrote the, this book. <laughs> the, good, the good thing about Persian New Year is it's the same stuff every year. It's you, not you suddenly like, what should I cook this year? Ain't nobody eating anything other than sabzi polo, which is a herb rice, because it's all about spring, so everything is green. Like, it's all about masses of fresh herbs and smoked fish. That's it. So it's this rice, however many times you visit people's houses, that could be 15 times in a week. Lunch and dinner, that's what you're eating. And this year, I was only subjected to it three times. My mother said, yeah, we're going to go to, uh, you know, her friend's house. She's going to do sabzi polo for us. And I was like, great, again? Seriously, why doesn't somebody do something different? So I stuck to the tradition because it just would, it's like, it's like you Christmas. Don't you don't, you would not have turkey for Christmas at least. So it doesn't feel like Christmas if you haven't got a big boid or a roast beef or something. So you're not going to whip up. You know, a little, no, but I do get I do get big lists of people coming to me going, I can't wait to stay with you. And I've put all these post-it notes on all the stuff I want us to cook from your book. And I'm like, <laughs> you don't yeah. want to go out for dinner? No? Yeah. <laughs> sure you want to. Do you know what we're getting? Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Pizza Hut, this is what we're eating. I keep them busy put a by taking on them that. out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, guys, I'm sure you have tremendous many questions. You do. No, you don't? I do. Don't okay. point at my mum. She gets like... <laughs> <laughs> you're not allowed. No questions from you. So I know from Instagram that you're a crisp aficionado. Now, crisps are... <laughs> really well. I love good food, but I love crisps maybe even more. So what I want to know is, what is your favourite... Favorite, and the most unusual favourite... I'm just going to repeat hey, that. This is... Girl. So you, you, you're well known to be a crisp fan... Yeah. What's your favorite crisps? Just like favorite? to say it's self-styled. It's crisp aficionado. Okay, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no. Um, so for everyday eating... Whatever makes you feel good, yeah. There's, there's many tears to this. So for everyday eating, if I had to just choose one to roll with for the rest of my life, Walker's Cheese and Onion. Okay. If we're going to the specialty snacks and things that feel a little bit more, you know, in British, British snacking... Uh, beef monster munch all you pickled onion people can get out <laughs> stinky breath um, uh, scampi fries love a scampi fries uh, beef hula hoops frazzles but now I have determined not regular frazzles boots shapers frazzles which by the way have only one calorie less than the normal frazzles so but taste better and and what's it's What's its, but also Marks and Spencer's cheese puffs. I thank you. <laughs> <laughs> This is years of research. <laughs> I didn't even know what. I, I don't, don't even, even know, know what, what those, those words are. Mean. Those, yeah. But I have to say, the one reason I go to Thailand so much is because the stuff that they have knocks the socks off the stuff that we have. Like. You literally walk into our supermarkets, we'll maybe have 30 different kinds of crisps. But you walk into theirs, like 300 different kinds of crisps from garlic mayonnaise flavor to crab curry to, you know, fish sauce flavor. And they've got, they really have the flavors down. 
And I have to say, crab curry is a particular favorite of mine. It is absolutely... And do you go through all of them? Do you go like... Some of them, some of them you open one and you eat and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, no, uh, that's, that's pretty dodgy. Um, and Czech Republic have garlic crisps. And we, my boyfriend and I brushed our teeth about four times. And we couldn't get rid of the smell. And we couldn't stand to kiss each other either. Because it was so pungent. And the next morning there was lots of tongue brushing. And it was really... Atroc- really atrocious. And it, Australian burger hoops suck, just so you know. So you... you I've everywhere got very... You, de- very <laughs> everywhere you go, this is the... This is, this is the first thing I do everywhere the I culture. go. Is go straight into the food aisle, food supermarket. So <laughs> should we give these guys some food? So. Uh, yeah, what are we eating? I said kind of. This is the kofta roll, mm-hmm. which is um, sausage roll with lamb, basically. Which I think maybe I went a little bit too pastry happy. I think it's a little bit too. You sweet. can never go too pastry th- happy. That's that's my point. There's no th- no such thing as too much pastry. <laughs> this is a kind of spiced stir fry cabbage that will just change everything you think about cabbage. It's so delicious. There's so much flavor in this. There's cumin, coriander, chili flakes, mustard seeds. Nigella seeds. Also known as contents of spice cupboard. Yeah. <laughs> she goes like this. Basically, yeah. Are you writing it down, Mum? Are you writing it down? Then I go, if somebody says, what's in that? I go, um, <laughs> like, it's just whatever was at hand. And a whole head of garlic. Yes, I love a whole head of garlic. Yeah, well, there's two, yeah. Because I doubled the recipe. Good man, yeah. good man. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, pilaf, tomato, and chickpea frica. It's just so delicious. And the uh, pink grapefruit, avocado, and cashew nut salad with this dressing, which is just, if you don't have this book, get this book just for this dressing. It's so <laughs> simple, and it's unbelievably delicious. It's arissa, honey, vinegar, and oil, but somehow it's just so much more than that. Um, his check is in the post, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm... I yeah, I just enjoyed cooking it so much. Please, a big, big hand to Sabrina. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Honey and Cook. We hope you enjoyed it, even if you didn't get to try the food. I promise everything was absolutely delicious. There are some wonderful guests coming up in the next few weeks and will be available to download. So make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes and please leave us a review if you can. That'll be really, really great for us. This show is expertly produced by Hester Kant, music by the great Ellis Russell. If you want to come along to one of our talks, you can join our mailing list on our website, honeyandco.co.uk, or follow us on our social media at honeyandco. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 